So a, uh, another election has uh, come and went, and um, however uh, you were hoping things would turn out on Tuesday, um, whoever you were supporting, um, whoever you were hoping uh, we would be sending to Washington, um, I just, I think there's one thing that we can all agree on. Thank God those political ads are finally over. Now, getting amen. <laughs> uh, oh, man. It seemed like that was like all that was on TV the last week or so, was those political ads. We'd be watching The Voice, and one of those things would come on, and um, it always like that, that spooky horror music, you know, and you'd show like a dark neighborhood, and then that creepy voice would come on and talk about the other guy, right? Jimmy Bob Joe Smith voted 100 times to uh, uh, take pacifiers away from babies. Uh, uh, he uh, likes to go uh, into neighborhoods and, and kick puppies in the face. And then, of course, at the end, there's the other guy. I'm Billy Joe Bob John, and I approve this message. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just always, always so negative, and you, you hear the negative about one, and you hear the negative about the other, and, and after a couple of weeks of that, you, you don't like any of those fools, right? Because you're, uh, you're just hearing all the bad about them. And it's always so exaggerated, too, isn't it? Like, uh, like one vote a guy takes, and you know, the noose to hang around his neck. It's always so exaggerated. To hear to hear these ads tell it. You know, there's one group that just wants to uh, drive down to the border and, and hand some Mexican gang the keys to your house. And then there's like this other group that just wants to go into all the hospitals and unplug all the life support machines, right? Just so exaggerated, so over the top. And the question I ask you is what is the purpose? Why are we doing this? Are you just like concerned citizens just wanting to let us know what's going on? Or is there an agenda? I have to think, you know, whoever you like, whichever side, everyone that's running these ads has an agenda. And it's simple. They want to win and they want the other person to lose. It's that simple. See, we live in divided times. And, 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 and it seems that, that more and more these days, all of us sort of have that agenda. We want to win and we want the other people to lose. It's not just politics. We're dividing on all kinds of uh, lines. Gender, race, uh, socioeconomic um, uh, whether you like a Marvel or DC, uh, you're just, we're all just sliced and diced and divided along so many lines. And it seems like more and more we get out in public and all we're doing is arguing and fighting. You know, you, you, you go on Facebook and, and sometimes it feels like trench warfare out there. Like if you just, like just poke your head up just a little bit, it might get shot off. It's just 
really divided. These culture wars are waging and everyone's taking up their sword and they just want to win. And it just makes the world an uglier place to live in. We just get sharpened against each other and we just start to hate each other and we just start to not trust each other and we just start to think the worst about each other and it's like we're living in those negative ads. But I ask you, as Christians, is that how we're called to live? I don't think so. But how do we live wisely in our relationships in this age of information? The scripture reading we're going to read this morning, I think, points us in the right direction. It's from the third chapter of Kings, of First Kings, verses 16 through 28. And it's a, it's a famous story about King Solomon um, two mothers have, uh, have come to him, both uh, uh, with a claim on a child, both claiming this child is theirs, and King Solomon has to judge which is the true mother. And I think this story has something profound to say to us about how we're supposed to relate to one another in the age of information. 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 16 to 28. Hear now the word of our Lord. Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, My Lord, this woman and I live in the same house. I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your servant was asleep. She put him on her breast and put her dead son on my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had borne. The other woman said, No. The living one is my son, the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, No, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, This one says, My son is alive and your son is dead. Well, that one says, No, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king, and he gave an order. Cut the living child in two, and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was filled with compassion for her son and said to the king, Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave this ruling. Give me the living baby, give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. This is the word of God 
May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. So King Solomon is in something of a pickle. Uh, he, um, he has two people uh, that have a, uh, have a claim to this baby. And he's got to judge between the two. Who is the rightful mother? Now, it was, it was back in the days uh, before Maury. You can't really do like a, a DNA test. And so, uh, so, so what does the king do? Well, he takes the sword off the wall. And he says, let's cut this baby in two. Now, this is the fairest thing to do. Uh, if, 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 normally, if you're a judge or a king and two people come to you uh, with a dispute over a piece of property or a herd of sheep or something like that, and, and uh, it's hard to suss out who really uh, has the best uh, uh, deed to the land or the best claim to the sheep, then you just say, well, we'll divide it in half, right? That's the fair thing to do. And so, uh, so, um, so Solomon proposes we do the same thing. Um, we'll divide this baby in half. Each of you take half, and, uh, and, and that is the fair, just thing to do. Well, in this case, of course, fairness is cruelty. Justice is barbaric. But in picking up that sword... And offering to do this, he gets the first woman to reveal herself for who she really is. See, her, uh, her, her uh, supposed love for her son is just a mask she is wearing. What this is really about is her bitterness and her anger. Something has, very tragic has happened in her life. Her child has died, and, and she looked across the room, and she couldn't stand the sight of, 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 this, of this other woman who had a living child. And so she wanted to win. And she would rather, she would rather see the child cut in two and for, for them both to have a dead son than to lose the fight. How like us in the age of information. Sometimes we'd rather win the fight than see unity and healing and love. What is the most um, awkward church service you've ever been at? Hopefully not this one. Um, I know, like, I can think of one that is, is hands down the most awkward church service I've ever been at. Uh, when I was in my 20s, my first job working at a church, um, I was, uh, I was a, a part-time youth minister, and uh, the church had gotten a new pastor. And the new pastor had been there about six months and, and managed to run off half the congregation. He was kind of rude, he was kind of a bully, uh, he was one of these that kind of got behind, uh, behind the pulpit, and, and when he wasn't boring you to death, 
Um, he was telling you how you should vote and what you should think about, you know, whatever he saw on the news that morning. And um, his style just was not working with the church and something had to be done. And so the SBRC got together and they had a vote and they said, we're going to ask the DS for a new pastor. Now they had this vote. SBRCs can't do that anymore to change the rules. It's a joke. Um, <laughs> you can still do that. Um, but they, they, all, they all got together and, uh, and, and they had this vote. And then they let the pastor know. Well, the very next Sunday was the most awkward church service I've ever been in. The pastor got up and, and he was due to talk about um, uh, the Hebrew children uh, uh, crossing the Jordan River and going into the promised land. And, but that wasn't what he had on his mind that Sunday, right? And so he read that scripture, but then the hellfire started coming up out of the ground and the uh, brimstone started coming down from the roof. And uh, it was uh, the most fiery stem winder I'd ever heard him preach. And then he ended the service by saying, the Jordan River runs right through here. (laughs) Now who's on my side? And he actually wanted people in the congregation to stand up in their pews and join him in the promised land. I have never wanted a secret tunnel under my pew so bad in my life. It was terrible. And as we were leaving, you know, those of us uh, Israelites that didn't make it to the promised land, as we were uh, walking out the door, um, I heard this, uh, this man saying to his wife, he's getting into the car, this is a visitor that Sunday, he was like, well, I believe we're going to the Baptist church next week, that guy's crazy. Now listen, I've been, you know, I'm new at the pastor thing, but I've been in ministry for about 16 years. And in my time, I've been fired from a couple churches, right? Um, They run out of money and, you know, it's you or the janitor and we're not emptying our own trash, so goodbye youth pastor, right? Or, uh, or, Or people just don't agree with your vision for the ministry, whatever. It hurts. It stings. Being fired by a church, just, it feels like being fired by your family, you know? In fact, it's not like that. It, it, that's what it is. That hurts. I get it. But using your opportunity on Sunday morning to, to share the gospel and to share the love of Jesus Christ to divide people, That's wrong. That is wrong. But we all do it, don't we? We grab that sword off the wall. We'd rather cut that baby in two than lose the fight. In this case, the church was the baby. Sometimes your relationship is the baby. Have you ever been in a fight and... Um, and you're kind of in the middle of that fight and you're not really sure what you started fighting about, but now you're fighting about everything. And you see that sword on the wall, right? 
this is the thing I could say. It would bring down the thunder. It would end this fight. But it could also end the relationship. Right? Have you ever ended a relationship with, with, with a, a loved one or a family member or, or a, another person in the church because you reached for that sword? Because you said the thing you couldn't take back and you cut the baby in two? We do it in our relationship with one another. Uh, and, and our, 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 our school boards and, and our, our, our business meetings, we do it. We cut the baby in two. We reach for that sword on the wall because that's our first instinct, our first inclination is to win the fight no matter what is sacrificed in the process. But there is a second option. See, the true mother is the one that would rather lose than see her son hurt. Who moved to compassion, moved by compassion says, I lose, you win. Think about what she's giving up. She's giving up her claim to her own son. She's giving up her um, opportunity to, to nurture that child and to watch it grow and, and, and to, to set it off in the direction uh, that it's supposed to go. She, she's giving up you know, all of those precious moments of childhood that she would have with her son. She's giving all of that up for the child's well-being. That's a true mother's love. How many of us have that same self-sacrificial love that we leave the sword on the wall and we step back and say, I lose, have your way. I don't know about you, but far too often I reach for the sword. Far too often I say, let's end this right here. But that's not what the mother did, and that's not what Jesus did. You remember the story in the garden that Jesus had just got done praying, and you know he's he's about to be arrested, he's about to be crucified, and, and, and he's just got done praying, Father, let this cup pass from me. He's in the garden with his disciples, and they hear the footsteps, and he says, "Look, my accusers come." The hour is at hand. And they hear the footsteps and it's an angry mob. It's, it's not Roman soldiers yet. It, it's, 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 it's angry peasants with clubs and swords and torches. And, and, and the mob arrives and then, then it sort of parts and outsteps Judas Iscariot. And all of the disciples gasp. But Jesus kind of acts like this is what he was expecting. And Jesus looks at Judas and says, okay, do what you have come here to do. And Judas steps forward and says, good evening, Rabbi. And he kisses his friend on the cheek. Then the mob springs into action 
their clubs and their swords and they start tying up Jesus. And, 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 and as soon as they spring into action, the disciples spring into action too. They're men, they're fishermen, they're fighters. They're not going to watch their rabbi be, be taken away. And one of them, uh, one of them takes his sword out of his sheath and he just lunges at, 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 at the first person he can get his hands on, cuts the guy's ear off. And you remember what Jesus says? Enough. Whoever lives by the sword dies by the sword. Then he looked at his disciples and said, Do you not think that this very moment I could call down 12 legions of angels and end this all right here, right now? But then how would the scripture be fulfilled that it has to happen this way? And then he does something remarkable. Jesus, the last, the last miracle of his career, the, the, the last miracle of this side of the cross, this side of the grave, is to go to that man who's, who's the side of his head is bleeding and to place his hand on it and heal the man's ear. Because you see, Jesus, when he had, when he had the choice when he had the chance to pull that sword off the wall and end it, Jesus said to his disciples, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And he chose healing. And we get to be gathered in this building on a Sunday morning because he went through with it. Because he died on the cross for us. Because when he had the opportunity to choose the sword, he chose the cross. And he calls us to do the same. We don't get let off the hook. If you would be my disciple, Jesus said, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Deny yourself. That means back away and say, you win, I lose. That's self-sacrifice. That's love is more important. Compassion is more important than winning. The cross is going to wing out over the sword. You win, I lose. Have your way. We don't like that. We don't want to hear that. We like to win. Everyone likes to win. And when there's a fight going on, your natural instinct is just to, to take, off the, take a sword off the wall and to, to join the war and let's win the fight. But as a church, like church writ large, universal church, we've been too involved in the fight. And we have, we have cut too many people in the process. And we are being called to take up the cross and walk in the way of Jesus. 1 John 3.16 says, This is how you know what love is. Christ laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's how you know what love is, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And in response to that, that's what we do for our brothers and sisters. 
God Almighty would have rather seen his own son cut in half than that we should perish. Think about that for a second. God Almighty would rather see his son die than to have to take that sword off the wall and give us what we deserve. God Almighty said, you win, I lose. And we're called to do the same. That's who we are. We're the people of the cross because you can't have it both ways. If you're going to carry that cross, that's a two-hand job. You don't get to hold a sword. To take up that cross, you have to lay down your sword. The story I love about, um, there's an old Japanese story about this monk that lives up on a mountain. You know, he just he meditates all day. And he's supposed to be so wise and people climb the mountain to, to, to learn things from him. Well, the story goes that there's this, uh, there's this samurai and uh, he's traveled a great distance. He climbs the mountain and, and he, wants, he wants some answers from the monk. And so uh, he gets to the top of the mountain and he walks into the monk's hermitage and he, he's there on the floor, you know, meditating. And, uh, and then the monk looks up and notices the man and says, you have a question. And the samurai says, yes, I would like to know the way to heaven and the way to hell. And the monk looks the man over. And says, why would I discuss such spiritual things with a stupid brute like you? Look at you. You're a samurai. You've got uh, the blood of a thousand victims on your hand. You, you're, not, you're not worthy to step foot on this mountain. As far as, I, as far as I care, you can go to the bottom of this mountain. You can rot. I'm not going to talk to you. And the whole time the monk was talking, the samurai was getting more angry and more angry. How dare this insolent peasant talk to him like this? And finally he unsheathes his sword and he approaches the monk and he raises his sword, getting ready to strike him down. And then the monk looks up and says, that is the way to hell. And the samurai is standing there and he's holding his sword and he realizes what has just happened. He backs up, he drops the sword, and he gets on his knees and says, forgive me, I'm so sorry. And the monk says, that is the way to heaven. This self-sacrificial love, the way of the cross, that is the way to heaven. That is the way to higher ground. That is the only way I know. The, the way of the sword is broad, and everybody you know is on it. It's tough out there, and they're all going in the same direction, but it leads to destruction. The way of the cross, that's the narrow way. Few people will find it, but that is the way that leads to life. Our choice as disciples of Jesus is pretty 
simple. We can choose the sword or we can choose the cross. We can choose the way of love and self-sacrifice or the way of the world. Can't have it both ways. It's an ugly world out there. People are angry. They're yelling at each other. Our whole country is in the middle of an argument and we can't remember how it began. We're just in the middle of it and everyone's reaching for their sword. And the bad news is you have to go back out into it. You have to go back out into it this week. But you have a choice. When you go out that door, what are you going to take with you? Are you going to reach for your sword? Or are you going to take the cross? Because we cannot afford any more division. We can't afford it. My name is Pastor Danny, and I approve this message. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.